I always wanted to do an illegal parade balloon, like <laughs> make a parade balloon and like fake the passes and get it into the fucking Macy's parade illegally. You know, you're putting you know? this out like a little too much. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, guys. No. <clears throat> I just read the whole intro and forgot to hit record. We can keep this in because this is such a rookie move. Um, I sent myself home a couple days ago with a cough, and I'm doing this in my closet surrounded by pillows with a wool blanket over my head, and I'm already overheating. And I just read this whole intro thoughtfully, and I wasn't recording. So anyway, let's try this again. Welcome to Overshare, a show where I interview creatives I admire about the struggles of being a creative professional. I'm your host, Justin Genak, and I'm also the co-founder and CEO of Working Not Working. And I'm just going to apologize in advance for the audio quality of this voiceover. Let me check. Yes, I'm still recording. Great. Uh, I am, like I said, um, huddled among pillows and a wool blanket in my closet because I had to go home from work because I had a cough. And among this current climate, this seemed like the most responsible thing to do. So I couldn't get into the studio to record this. Uh, But good news, guys. I have phlegm. You might be able to hear it a little, my voice, uh, which is great news because apparently phlegm does not come along with the coronavirus. Um, So I've got just a cold. Um, So you're getting all the good, juicy, over-sherry, phlegmy conversation right now. Um, Anyway, it's a weird time right now, uh, as I know all of you are probably feeling it. And I'm even sensing it from this past week we did a Talking Not Talking. And for those of you who don't know, we do a a monthly support group in New York, L.A., and San Francisco uh, where we just sit around in a circle and talk about the stuff we're struggling with. And a lot of times a lot of the people who come to those meetings are freelancers and freelancers who work from home and just know how lonely and isolating that can get. You know, being able to come out and see, see, uh, see other people and talk to other people it's just a huge benefit. And I know like as more, more and more people are going to be working from home in these next few weeks, uh, it's going to be important to connect with each other. So, you know, FaceTime someone today, uh, invite them to a Google hangout, maybe during lunch. So you guys can all watch each other, eat salads. Like you're in an office, just do whatever you can as frequently as you can to connect with one, one another. Uh, cause it's going to be really important. Uh, now I'm supposed to remind you to please subscribe, rate and review overshare. Uh, that's the way people discover us. Uh, also, if you we, we have an Instagram feed at Overshare Talks and also a Twitter feed at Overshare Talks. Uh, there's some amazing collages that uh, Eugene, our designer, has created for the season. Uh, if you could share those and spread the word, uh, we'd really love to have more people here in these conversations. And we're going to do our best among all of this to stick to our weekly schedule that we've set out to do this season. It's only episode two. We've got another one recorded for next week. Uh, but then we got to figure out what we're going to do. So we've haven't really done uh, interviews online. We've only been doing them in the studio or live, uh, but I think we might have to do that, and I think it's okay. I don't love the audio quality, typically, of uh, internet podcasts, recordings over the internet, but if it's what we got to do to keep these conversations going and, and getting them out to you, um, it's definitely what we should be doing. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to keep this going, uh, but now let's get to, into the episode. Now, I was ecstatic to get to interview artist Tristan Eaton at the Cannes Lion Festival in Cannes, France last summer. Uh, a huge thanks, first of all, to Facebook for hosting us in the community hub at Facebook Beach. And this is a live recording with a rosé-soaked crowd uh, from the south of France. 
Now, Tristan is a pro. This was his third or fourth interview of the day. And he was stuck in traffic until like the minute before we were supposed to go on. He just walks up and he was just like, hey man, <laughs> like, what do you want to talk about? He's like, anything you want, threw a mic on and walked out there and just delivered. Uh, so I really appreciate uh, Tristan for for being such a professional and, uh, and, and diving in and having a really honest and, and, and entertaining conversation with me. And for those of you who don't know Tristan, he's a legend in the street art world. He designed his first toy for Fisher Price when he was 18 years old via sending faxes over to them. And he was at the forefront of the designer toy craze in the early 2000s with his work at Kid Robot, creating the Dunny and Money art toys. And for those of you who remember that, especially those in New York that would go over to Kid Robot on Prince Street and wait in those lines and, 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 and get those limited edition toys, um, it was a pretty, pretty amazing time for, for art and culture. And since we had this conversation last summer, Tristan has continued to make epic work, including most recently designing the tickets and program for Super Bowl 54 in Miami, uh, which takes his street art style and, and and vibrant colors and illustrations and brought it to uh, to the artwork there. And I just love how much Tristan has evolved his work over these years and pushed it in different directions. He sees it all in chapters where he follows a particular curiosity to, as he puts it, exercise the demon. And then when it's done, he just moves on to the next thing. And a lot of times when he moves on to the next thing, it's under a secret identity or two, which has got to be a pretty freeing way to do new work. In this episode, you will learn how important it is to reinvent yourself, push past the point where it gets easier for you, because that's where the mediocrity sets in. And you'll learn how inventing your own universe and inviting the world in will lead to doing more of the work that you really want to be doing. Anyway, enjoy this sunny, beachy, uh, south of France conversation uh, with the legendary Tristan Eaton. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Who's hungover? Anybody hungover? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everyone feeling good? Well, thank you for coming. So we're recording this for the podcast. Uh, as Liz said, I'm Justin Genak. Uh, how many people here are on working, not working? I know there's some here. All right, good to see. Um, if you're not on working, not working, we'd love to talk to you afterward. Whether you're uh, an amazing creative or someone who hires amazing creatives, uh, you should be. Uh, you should join us. Um, yeah, thank you to Liz and the Facebook team for hosting us here at the community hub at the Facebook Beach. Um, and for those of you listening, we're at the Can Lion Festival here in the south of France. It is not that bad. It's not bad. Not bad at all. And uh, I'd like to introduce my guest, Tristan Eaton. <laughs> Uh, Tristan is one of the most prominent street artists working today. His epic mural work, all executed with freehand spray paint, it's ridiculous, uh, can be found in dozens of cities around the globe, from Paris to Shanghai. He's regularly commissioned by a roster of clients that includes Nike, Versace, and even Barack Obama. Uh, and his work can be found in the Museum of Modern Art's permanent collection. Let's welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you've been hustling today. A lot of can can talking. It's been it's been a long day. Yeah. How are you feeling? Uh, great, man. I mean, South of France is one of my favorite parts of the planet. I love being here. Any excuse to be here, I'm in. Uh, this is my third time to the Can Lions. Oh, okay. First time was about 12 years ago, and uh, it's always a good time, man. Yeah, it's it's, like, it's changed a little. Yeah, it's, it's like a little art, crazier. It's like Art Basel for Mad Men or something. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then are we going to see you at some point, like in a fedora, sipping rosé? <laughs> every day, every, every day. All right, yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we're going to dive in. Uh, you know, just kind of get some of the basics out of the way. Where are you from originally? Uh, I was born in um, Hollywood, California. I was born and raised in Hollywood. Okay. Um, my mom is an actress. My dad is a movie producer. So I literally grew oh, wow. up in Hollywood. Uh, when I was seven years old, I ran away from home and ended up at the Man's Chinese Theater as like a seven-year-old, you know. So uh, I'm living in L.A. again now, and I don't, I don't meet many people who are born and raised there. Yeah. Um, but I moved around my whole life. So when I was eight years old, I moved to England. My mother's British. Okay. So I was in London from eight to 16. 
Then I moved to Detroit, Michigan. And in Detroit is where I really got into graffiti. You know, there's no rules there. You can paint whatever you want. Yeah. Especially um, in the what, mid-90s? Yeah, yeah mid-90s. Yeah. It yeah. was like a graffiti writer's paradise. Uh, then I moved to New York City. I was there for 15 years. And I moved back to L.A. six years ago. Oh, wow. And you, I think yeah. you went to SVA as well. Yeah. So I moved to New York in 98. You did it. So I did think. I. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, how long were you at SVA? Oh, like a year and a half. Oh, I dropped okay. out. Yeah. And that was probably, I should have done that. All the art schools I went to and dropped out of try to claim me as an alumni now. I'm like, no. <laughs> you didn't want me then. You don't want me now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so you grew up in a, you know, a creative household. So, like, what kind of effect did that have on you and your, the way you looked at art and, and what you do? Um, well, my parents didn't have a lot of money, um, so you know they made up for that with their love and support. You know, I had a very tight family. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have siblings? Yeah, my older brother was a graffiti writer. Too. I mean, he, he my older brother got me into graffiti. Okay. So he started a graffiti crew in like 1989 in London. So he was four years older. I was the little kid. Yeah. And I want to be like my older brother's friends and paint trains and do all that stuff. So that's how I learned about graffiti was in London back then. And it was like overnight we stopped skateboarding and got into graffiti. Yeah. Um, and how old were you at that time when you got into graffiti? Uh, about 17. Okay. You know, and when I was in Detroit, it was like a free reign. You could do whatever you want. You know, we would climb abandoned buildings and paint everything. We'd throw furniture out the 20th floor window, watch it explode. <laughs> you know, there's no rules, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was pretty awesome. But my family was very supportive of my creative endeavors. I mean, and that's rare. When I was really young, I was really prolific. I made so much art as a little, little kid. It was almost weird, you know? Yeah. And they were very supportive of that. And I knew what I wanted to do really, really young. So I just wanted everyone out of my way. I just wanted to get to it. Yeah. So I started working professionally while I was in art school. Um, I started designing toys for Fisher Price when I was like 18 years old. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, I got started very, very early. Wait, so was a good what, thing. how did you start designing to- toys at 18 years old? <laughs> uh, one of my art teachers <laughs> okay. liked what I did, referred me to um, an art director at Fisher Price in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. And I started um, sending sketches by fax machine. To Buffalo, New York, to Fisher Price. Yeah, and you know, little did I know that toy design would be such a big part of my life. Yeah, it wasn't intentional. Yeah. So fast forward to like 2004, when we started Kid Robot. I'm not sure if there's any Kid Robot fans here, but it was like the Woo. funnest, craziest thing in the world. Um, and that was at the time when it was all like that was like the epicenter of the movement. Like I remember going to that what was on Prince Street. Mm-hmm. Going to their Prince Street, it was like every toy, every limited edition, and you were just you were designing a ton of stuff there. Well, it went from us like figuring out how to make toys from scratch to Jay Z and Lindsay Lohan like spending thousands of dollars on it and coming out with bags and bags, and yeah. we created this weird culture, or kind of imported it really because it was big in Tokyo and Hong Kong. Yeah, but no one had brought it to the states like Kid Robot did. Yeah, um, but when we started Kid Robot, my background was. Toy design and graffiti. Yeah. So it was like perfect. Kind of perfect marriage, yeah. Yeah, it was perfect. Uh, but I didn't plan for toy design to be such a big part of my life and career. Yeah. Um, it was a, a crazy random thing. But it, like, it, it like blew up really quickly. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a lot of people here who are trying to build brands and movements and, and, and all that. Like, what were some of the biggest things you learned by being a part of that fever going on? Because and, and, people would line up around the block to get these limited edition toys. Uh, and it was just, it was insane. Yeah, man. One of the th- I mean, I think I learned a lot about what not to do, you mm. know. Um, and there's a lot of business experiences 
and you know lessons you learn that you can apply to being an artist as well. And right. what I can say I, I am very aware of is that um, with Kid Robot there was a lot of innovation. You know, there's no rules in what we were doing. We were like, you know, using the method of manufacturing toys as a medium for art. Yeah. So we make a hundred toys and then break the mold. Yeah. And you know, we were inventing the norm in this weird subgenre, you know, mm -hmm. this weird subculture. Yeah. Um, inevitably, that became a formula. Okay, so what was experimental and innovative yeah. became a formula. Because it worked. Yeah. And became, you know, a regiment of, you know, seasonal releases and all this baloney. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up, like, stopping making toys and leaving that world because uh, what I didn't I loved the art making of it. Yeah. What I didn't like was the shopping of it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone knows what Hypebeast is and what uh -huh. Hypebeast culture is and all of that. And being deeply in the middle of that and contributing to that, what I didn't like about it is that it was really not about art or culture. It was just about Having shopping. It. Yeah. It was about a shopping. Acquiring the thing. Yeah, and yeah. being a slave to people's shopping habits in how you make your art. Yeah. That was never why I wanted to make art. I didn't want to, you know retroactively design my art for a seasonal release or mm -hmm. a shopping habit. Yeah. So uh, I stopped doing that. Well, and I guess when you see that starts to be successful, it leaves a lot less room for experimentation like you guys were doing and trying yeah. different things. Yeah, but my, I guess the point I was making and how it correlates to my art yeah. is, you know, I've been making a living off my art for 20 years, which is very hard to do. Yeah. And over those 20 years, I've had to reinvent myself many times, man. Yeah. And... Every time there's an innovation, it becomes a formula. Yeah. And you have to realize when that's happening because now you're just doing what's easy, what you know is predictable, uh -huh. and then it, that leads to mediocrity. So well, and it's also the fad, and other people are jumping on that too. And so it's like that you, you want to keep pushing things. Yeah. And people like, whether it's copying your style or just like so many people saturating a thing that you do really well, you Listen, have to keep man, moving ahead of it. I was so happy when my toys got bootlegged the first time. Like, yeah. That was like the biggest compliment in the world. Yeah. I love that. Um, but, you know, I, I learned a lot of lessons in the business side that I do apply to how I make art, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of art is commerce, and a, a lot of how we judge success is based on um, the financial outcome. Yeah. You know, so that's a, an ugly truth in how art is measured. Mm -hmm. You know, did the show sell out? How much did a painting sell for? Yeah as opposed to the artistic merit of the work. Well, that's got to be... It's inescapable. It's got to be one of the nice things of, like, putting stuff on the street still. Because <laughs> yeah. you're, not, you're not selling it. It's just there for the people. It's accessible. Like, you, you do some pretty epically huge murals. Like, what's the biggest one you've done? Like, how many stories? Um, largest was 14 stories in Seoul, South Korea. How long did that take you? Uh, five days. Do you have assistance, or are you doing it all on your own? Um, a lot of them I do alone. Wow. But... The thing is, um, spray paint is a fast medium. So yeah. with a couple of fat caps, I can cover more square footage than any artist could 30 years ago prior. Right. So, you know, graffiti, gave birth, yeah. graffiti gave birth to a generation of muralists. Yeah. We're all equipped to paint giant murals more than any artist before us of any other generation. Right. And that happens at a time when there's an appetite for large-scale muralism around the planet. Yeah. So you see many artists like Circle, Ariz, Shepard Fairey, Howan Nazem, all these great artists pushing the boundaries and painting larger and larger and larger everywhere around the planet. Yeah. Where, you know, 
15 years ago, I was trying to get permission to do big murals. Yeah. No one was letting me. You know, there wasn't an appetite for it, but now there is. Is that a weird thing? Like, graffiti, you know, back when you started, it was probably a rebellious act. And so, and you, I'm sure, probably got arrested a couple times for doing it. Once. Once, okay. Uh, but <laughs> I got arrested fact, for lots of other stuff, but for yeah, graffiti, yeah. <laughs> once. But it's like a thing where it was rebellious, and now it's, people are, like, paying you for it and, and celebrating you for it. Is that, was that ever a weird transition for you? It's a weird transition, and there's, there are two separate animals completely. You know, uh, all the illegal work that I've done has a different agenda to legal work that I'm doing. Okay. So, when you're painting a 10-story mural in a city, you're changing the face of that city. You're changing the landscape. And there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Yeah. Okay? You don't want to be um, forcing your work on the public. Mm. So you have to make sure that, you know, you know, art can be a dictatorship sometimes. And, you know, you don't want to um, enforce the wrong kind of art on that public. So you have to know where you're painting it, what that city's like, and how it's going to matter and how it's going to affect that community. Because even if you just paint a building bright yellow, yeah. it's going to affect how people feel that live right around that. Mm. So now, with a giant illustrative graphic mural, it's going to change some, some people's minds, it's going to change their day, it's going to affect that community. Yeah. So there's responsibility that comes with that. That I take seriously. So you're, you're researching the area and the culture and, and talking yeah. to some people just so you have an understanding of what would resonate? You have to be responsible with the work you're putting into the community yeah. when it's that scale. Now, when you're doing illegal work, it's a different thing. Now, graffiti is different than street art, okay? Because mm-hmm. graffiti is the, the game of putting your name up as much as possible, right. preferably with as much style as possible. Yeah. And that's it. And it comes from people wanting to let the world know they exist. Here's my name. That's who I am. Yeah. And then that has all this like street fame that comes with that. Especially where you put it. That's just contagious. Yeah. yeah. But that's not to be confused with street art. Mm. Because street art is not that game. Um, And then, you know, a million artists have a million different agendas for why they put art in a public space. Earlier today I was talking about competing with advertising agencies. Mm. So in the landscape of the cities we live in, you have all these billboards that we didn't ask for or vote for. Mm -hmm. They're forced upon us. So for people like me, we want to fight back and take back our public space to put what we want to see in in beauty, in graffiti, in street art, whatever it is. You know, why do only they have the right to imagery in public space? You know, that's not fair to a lot of us. Yeah. So... You know, depends what your agenda is. And so then there's like a responsibility in a community around putting the counter, the counter to that and putting beautiful yeah. art up. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people have a hard time letting go of their style, especially if it's popular. How have you been able to evolve it? Because when we first met 12, maybe plus years ago, your style was very different. different it was work. coming out of the Kid Robot stuff, very black and white, very graphic. Yeah. It was still collage because you were pasting this yeah. on top of each other, which you can still see in your work now. Yeah. But like, what was the point where you let go of that and you started doing something that's pretty vastly different than that? It's pretty calculated. Okay. For me, internally, and how I look at what I'm doing, I see all my work in chapters. Hmm. Okay? So when I feel a chapter ending, and I feel like it's time to change it up, I consciously calculate a new chapter Hmm. to try and experiment with. Like, okay, I'm going to try this other part of me 
and give this part of my creative brain a shot. Yeah. And I'm going to give it my everything for, you know, three years and give it a run and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. And exercise the demon and get it out. Yeah. So that's where a lot of my kind of visual landscape of work has come from is, you know, different chapters of what's inside of me that needs to get out. So for a long time, I was doing a lot of uh, very sepia, black and white work because I have color blindness that's really strong. Oh, wow. So I wanted to not worry about color and focus on line and design and all of this. And then um, I got to work on the Obama campaign in 2008, and that was an amazing experience. But it made me pay a lot more attention to politics in America. Mm. And that was when the racists came out of the woodwork and the ugliness in American politics was on full display. And that stirred up a lot in me. Yeah. And it pushed me to do a whole huge body of work that was super illegal and super aggressive in message. So yeah. to do that, I had to give that whole project a new name. Mm -hmm. So no one knew it was me. Oh, wow. So I could do it with uh, plausible deniability uh -huh. and also let this body of work uh, succeed or fail without me attached to it. So on its own merit. Yeah. On its own merit. And that was an interesting experiment, mm. but it was also the part of me that um, is more of a writer and a thinker and a prankster mm -hmm. and not the painter. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of commentary just even in like, the, the language that you have within the murals. And, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So fast forward, you know, the kind of work I'm doing now was me forcing myself to take all my disciplines and mush them together, literally. Yeah. So my work is very collage in nature, but all the elements that are there on display... Some of it's up over here, you guys can see. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of the elements that are on display are not random. They're um, areas of design I explored for years. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, was, I had a TV show at Disney for a long time. Oh, that's cool. I spent years as an illustrator, mm -hmm. as a cartoonist. So when I bring that kind of those kind of visuals into my work, it comes from a lot of history and dedication to that art form. Yeah. Same with branding and design, graphic design. When that comes into my work, it comes from an informed place yeah. and isn't there just for a superficial function. Yeah. You know, but anyway... It's not I decoration. It actually is born of you. and Yeah. 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 But I, I wanted to finally step back and look at my work and feel like it was all of me on display mm -hmm. and not just one of my disciplines. Yeah. So for the first time in my life, the mural work and painting work that I'm doing, I feel like is 100% of me. Yeah, that's, that's a that, great spot to be in. That feels really, really good. But I, I'm still trying to get better all the time, and there's still room to grow, you know? Do you feel like it's hard, you know, like, uh, that's an interesting technique to be able to do and explore a whole different style without having your name attached to it? Because I think a lot of people, especially if clients are coming <laughs> to you, paying for you to do the thing you do, it's hard to break out of that and evolve out of that because they don't want you experimenting on their dime. So, like, was that, was that the only way you think you could do that? Like, is to start it new? Or, like, if well, you're going to evolve again, do you... It kind of helped to avoid getting arrested. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for one. Yeah. Being um, legal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, a lot of it was to kind of put it into a vacuum, you mm -hmm. know, so that it had nothing to do with me. Yeah. Um, and when I started that particular project, I already had a name and a reputation through Kid mm -hmm. Robot and all this other stuff. Yeah. And I didn't want the work to be tainted by that. Do you think you would do that again if you were to have another oh, evolution, yeah. another chapter? Of course. Yeah. I have like two well. other secret identities already. <laughs> That's awesome. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's, you know, uh, kind of fun to be able to like take, um, a, you know, an alter ego 
yeah. and let it out of the cage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of graffiti writers I know have four or five names. You know what I mean? There's graffiti writers who are now so wanted in L.A., they had to, like, burn their old name and start a new name. Wow. You know, so for me, uh, it was a convenient way to, like, let all the creative beasts in me have a playground. It's to give it their own identity and let it go. Well, that seems really interesting also coming from your mother's background as an ah. actress and taking on identities. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah. Like coming, coming from that and just saying, hey, today I'm going to be this, tomorrow yeah. I'm going to be this. Yeah. Uh, and having but, that freedom to, to explore those parts of you. Yeah. Absolutely, man. And, but I think you have to be doing that uh, with a purpose. You know? yeah. So for me, it was always like a, a method of seeking you know, mm. to like find out what I'm really capable of as an artist. And you know, it doesn't always line up what you like doing mm-hmm. and what people want to pay you for mm-hmm. and what you enjoy doing. Those three things don't always line up. Yeah. So sometimes you're doing something that makes money but you hate doing it. Or you do something you love doing but no one's paying you for it. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've always been seeking that balance of like, okay, well, what are all the pieces? Um, what medium is going to open me up like a faucet to be able to create on a higher plane than ever before? Right. So you think about like someone like Jean-Michel Basquiat, mm-hmm. you know, where his tools allow him to open up and flow. And there's no speed bumps between what's in him and the tools he's using and the final product. Yeah. Okay? So for me, nothing has done that for me more than spray paint. Okay? Spray paint as a tool has made me more of myself than anything. It's the most beautiful tool in the world because... I can go from painting vector graphics to realistic graphics with one tool. Mm. No tape, no stencils, nothing. And no changing in the tools that I'm using. And It's just the different heads, and you can get really fine, you can get really broad. I can't. That. Yeah. I mean, that's secret yeah. shit. Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, there's an alchemy to spray mm-hmm. paint that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But it's the only tool that's brought something out in me and how I paint where I will paint and step back and not think I could do it again mm. and be scared of what I did and not think I could repeat it. Mm. So now I'm like, shit, man, I don't know if I could do that twice. And that's the closest I can get to making great art is yeah. when I can get out of the way yeah. and let it become subconscious. Yeah. And then, you know, you're really close to doing something good. Well, that's like a, such an interesting contrast for, you know, going being in toy production where everything's replicated. And then doing this, and you're like, hey, this is probably one of a kind. I can't do it again. There's probably and a nice so freedom in that. pre-planned. Yeah. You know, getting away from that has been really big for me with my art. You know, where I might pre-design the mural. Once I'm there painting it, I allow mistakes to happen. I allow things to change on the spot. Yeah. You know, it's beautiful. That's amazing. And, then, and how has the transition been for you going from, you know, commercial art, toys, to being now more in the fine art space and doing gallery shows. and it, Has that been a hard transition, or is it just kind no, of... No, man. I, I think that everything I learned on the business side of art has helped me be a better artist. Or, you know, everything I've learned on the business side of brands yeah. has helped me be a better artist. Yeah. You know, um, I was lucky because, I, like I said, I started working professionally very young, so I knew how to protect my art very young. Mm. Um, and that saved me from a lot of disaster. Yeah. You know, and I like looking out for a lot of other artists. I'm not a competitive artist, you know. I don't like um, competing with people. You know? yeah. I like seeing other artists do well. 
Yeah. So a lot of my friends who are artists come to me and be like, hey, Tris, man, I got this contract. Mm-hmm. What did you do when this happened to you? And, yeah. you know, I'm like a free lawyer for a lot of my friends because... <laughs> they take note, people. Yeah. Well, you know, over the years, you end up doing every kind of project. Yeah. So um, I learned a lot the hard way. Yeah. And man, you got to spread that love, man. You got to yeah, help absolutely. out the younger generation. And, and there's plenty of work to go around, and you want to see people flourish. Yeah, exactly of course. right. That's yeah. amazing. Um, why is legacy so important to you? Like, I know you did a whole series on legacy, and it was really touching. You know, um, yeah. At that. Um, yeah, I did a whole exhibition about my father. Um, my father was a special guy, and when he passed away, he didn't really leave much behind. And, you know, I, I basically started um, kind of documenting the life stories of the people around him and painting portraits based on those life stories and kind of crafting his legacy through art. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, man. I mean, I think for a lot of artists, it's on you to tell your story. Um, no one else is going to do that for you. Mm-hmm. you know? So um, legacy is a very important thing. And um, as an independent artist, you have to be the one pushing you to get where you want to be. And for me, I've definitely recognized that telling your story is an important part of um, your success. Mm. So for me, if I, I might want to be doing something uh, evolved from where I am now, mm-hmm. but I can't jump there. I have to intentionally slow it down so that I can show the progression publicly mm. and uh, bring people along with me for the story. Yeah. So they can see me gradually get to this end point. You know, so you're kind of like telling your story, even though you want to be jumping to painting with lasers yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, you have to slowly evolve so people are along for the ride. Yeah, um, you know, I'm lucky to have people that have been following my career for a long time, who come up to me and say, "Hey, man, I'm, I've been following you since the Kid Robot days. Yeah, and I love what you're doing now. It's been great to watch the story. Yeah. Um, so I think it's good to cater to that, and you know, invite people into the story a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's inspiring to be able to see people pushing themselves, reinventing themselves, going on a bigger scale or bigger challenges. And so you can see where they came from. It's like you're, you're proud for them, you know? And yeah, it's, like, and it's, totally. it's nice to feel a connection with artists and just, you know, people in your life that you see growing and evolving. Because that takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah, and I think we all enjoy seeing artists take chances and evolve, you know, yeah. either musicians or filmmakers or painters. Yeah. You know, there's something disappointing about when your favorite artist is now doing the same thing over and over and mm-hmm. over. You're like, oh, man, that was cool 10 years ago. Yeah. But come on, wake yeah. up. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I want to keep evolving. Yeah. And um, a lot of my, you know, um, need to evolve comes from trying to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to be as self-aware as possible. I know what I'm bad at. What are you bad at? Oh, man, there's certain spray paint <laughs> techniques that I can't do, that I really need to know how to do, you know? <laughs> so I'm always like, you know, when I paint murals, I don't want to use brushes. I don't want to use tape or stencils or anything. But when I paint a big portrait, painting eyelashes with spray paint is really difficult. You can, like, take the pressure out of the can and get a tapered line that has that effect. But when you do that, it splatters all over your perfect portrait. You know, so there's always, like, little things... And if you're not taping stuff off, then, you, you know... Yeah, you got to yeah. do it. Yeah, and a lot of times I'm painting with an audience. You know, there's people watching, so you know uh, I don't want to use any tricks or cheat in any way. Yeah, um, you don't want to stick vinyl eyelashes on. But I also keep that in mind when designing the work. Mm. So when I'm designing the big murals, 
I'm always trying to incorporate imagery that I've never painted before mm -hmm. and give myself challenges, man, and you know, keep it interesting for people that are watching. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of nostalgia in your work. Like, where does yeah. that come from? Is that from growing up in Hollywood and, and kind of old Hollywood and, and, and all of that? Or is that um, from somewhere else? I think I, I, I look for timeless imagery. Mm -hmm. You know, there's certain kind of imagery that stands the test of time. Hmm. And um, I kind of gravitate towards that kind of imagery. Yeah. But there are, you know, like uh, photographs of, like, Hollywood noir and, mm -hmm. you know, actresses from the 40s who have, like, a timeless beauty but to me, there's like logo design that has that too. Mm -hmm. You know, there's you know uh, graphics that have timeless beauty as well. Yeah. So it's not just in the subject of my painting, but the elements I'm using too. Well, yeah, like the, the, I see like sometimes like snippet of a logo or just even some patterns. Like yeah. Some are recognizable, some aren't, but like yeah. all of that together. Yeah. There's so much, so many little nuances in the stuff that you're doing. It's like I, I liked with the legacy, like you were telling someone's story through all of these elements. It's right. like, oh, that's amazing. Like. And there's but, just a lot to investigate, a lot to explore. I it's, feel it's like fun. At, at best, when I'm creating the collage compositions, at my best, every single piece has meaning mm -hmm. or is part of the story. Right. And there's no filler. Yeah, it's not frivolous. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, if I'm doing a big piece that's just for fun for me, yeah. uh, I might freeform it and just freestyle. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be so deep or meaningful. I can have fun and allow the illustrative elements to work like abstract elements mm. so that you're painting with graphic logo shapes. Right. You know, or uh, the illustrative pieces become abstract pieces. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's nice to not have so much... But almost put so much problem. pressure on every little yeah, element. Yeah. 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 Um, do you feel at this point that you have something to prove? No, man. That's not good. at all. I don't. Um... I, I honestly I, I feel very lucky you know um, I've had like a, a crazy career lots of ups and downs you know so I, I definitely like started off at the bottom and worked my way up as an illustrator in New York in the 90s when mm -hmm. we were like carrying portfolios around and oh, those are fun it was old school days <laughs> yeah. man um, started a toy company left that started a design studio left that and you know was had money then broke then money then broke up and down over the years, like all yeah. of us, you know. Do you feel like, like, w was it easy or probably not easy for you to make those jumps and close down something that was going really well? Um, you get, I got better so you, at it. Yeah. You know, I, I got better at, like, seeing the low point coming and preparing for it, mm. knowing that, okay, we're making a change and a big shift, so let's bat down the hatches because for six months in this transition, it might be rough. Yeah. I've, it, got, you, I've gotten better at seeing that, but... If the 18-year-old me knew what I was doing now, I'd be very happy. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have any regrets. I'm very lucky to be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, is there, is there any indicators, like, for people that are listening to know when those times are coming? Like, you seem like, yeah, how, how do you spot that on the horizon? Is it uh, yeah, just how, man. how you're feeling, or is it, like, well, just looking at the market? Or um, It depends, man. You know, for me, one example was um, when I shut down my design studio that I had for 10 years. Six months before I shut it down, I noticed that I stopped giving a shit. Mm. I didn't really care about the work anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't really care about that brand's marketing plan and uh -huh. what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I, that was a, an alarm bell to me because once I don't care about it, it's going to lead to mediocre work. Yeah. Okay. 
the best work I've done comes out of enthusiasm. And we all know that, you know, yeah, when yeah. everyone is hyped about it, excited about it, you want to show people, you want to talk about it, that's what leads to quality. Yeah. And I am just so scared of doing mediocre work. It's the scariest thing in the world. So six months before I shut down my design studio, I noticed that I didn't care about the work. Mm-hmm. And that was a big indicator. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, I know I have to make a change. So I saw that coming. And mm-hmm. I knew there was going to be a downtime. Because yeah. I was going to have to pull the, pull the shoot mm-hmm. and go in a different direction. So sometimes you just have to like, pay attention to your gut. What was your first step the day after closing it? Oh, man. I mean, it was uh, a wild time for me because... Um, when, when I closed my design studio, it was actually like a really intense time that led to the painting work I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And all these things happened at the same time. I had um, a TV show that I wrote that I sold to Disney mm-hmm. called Ninja Boombox. Coolest thing in the world. <laughs> Never thought I'd have that in my life. Yeah. Meanwhile, I had my design studio. and We pitched a project to Google. And they committed to a $3 million budget for this project for us. And we had all the invoices approved. And that project was about to start in a month. Mm-hmm. And within that one month, this is around the time when I was getting sick mm-hmm. of doing this commercial work. Yeah. They killed my Disney show. Google backed out, pulled the rug out from underneath us at the last minute. No offense, Google, wherever they are. They're, I'm, they're, they're down the beach that way. They can't hear us. Whatever, Google. Um, <laughs> so all these things <laughs> fell apart at the last minute. Yeah. Right when I was feeling in my gut that I needed to make a change. So, so it almost did you a favor. <laughs> it almost did me a favor. And I had employees. Yeah. So it was a moment for me to be able to say, guys, you see where things are going. Yeah. I'm going to go paint now. Mm-hmm. This is my chance to go pursue my personal fine art. Yeah. As opposed to when things are really good. And it's, hard to, your yeah, employees, it's hard to step away. Yeah. Hey, guys, you're fired because I want to go paint now. Yeah. So I got my main producer a job at Shepherd Ferry, and he's still working for him now. That's amazing. He's doing great. Yeah. Um, and then I pursued my body of work that I'm painting now. Yeah. And um, the first mural that I tried to produce that was big was um, in Little Italy. And I ended up having a big scandal in the New York Post because... Is it the Audrey Hepburn? No, it was Are before that. The City of Dreams? No, it was Another before one. that. You have a lot in that. And it right. didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> and what happened was I did a sketch for this big mural in Little Italy. And the New York Post, uh, who are also here somewhere, shame on you, New York Post, <laughs> uh, they totally threw me under the bus. They said, okay, we want to take your sketch and you know, do a story about this big mural. I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So I sent them the sketch. Uh-huh. They secretly went to the church next door to the wall oh, and showed them the sketch without me being able to explain it. Oh, jeez. So that Sunday... New York Post, full-page story, satanic artist starts intramural pagan war <laughs> with a photo of this priest pointing at my art like, ugh. I'm like, oh my God. So then it got picked up on radio and TV and like the whole community went crazy. What was it, the subject matter? <clears throat> it was this crazy figure made up of like animals and crazy stuff. It was about family, but <laughs> I could see how you might think it was like a big pagan sun god or something, you know? But um, without me being there yeah. to explain it... Yeah, that's hard. There, there was some stuff in there that was kind of crazy, I admit. But <laughs> whatever, it was the first sketch, man. Probably, first round. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, that happened. And I went to the head Italian guy of the, uh, you know, Little Italy. And I'm like, all right, man, look. Let me paint a little wall. Mm-hmm. I'll do a little piece to make everyone happy and get everyone on my side. Yeah. If everyone likes that, then I'll, I'll, we'll come back to the big wall. Yeah. 
So he's like, all right, all right, fair enough. So that's when I painted this uh, portrait of Audrey Hepburn for Little Italy, yeah. which has now that's become great. like a landmark of the neighborhood mm-hmm. and um, you know, a big part of my career. And um, you know, after I did that, the response was so huge yeah. that um, I went back to this you know, the big Italian guy. Uh-huh. I'm like, so what's up with the big wall? He's, and I'm like, can we get the neighborhood behind it? He's like, I'm the neighborhood. I'm behind it. <laughs> I'm like, all right, buddy. I was sitting in Umberto's Clown House where there was like a big hit 20 years earlier, you know. It was yeah. crazy mafia stuff. And, um, and I painted the big Statue of Liberty mural. Oh, yeah, that's great. And to do that wall, uh, I got eight people to give me 500 bucks each to raise the money for it. Yeah. And in exchange, there's a plaque on the wall saying, this mural made possible by Tristan's uncle, Tristan's mom. And, oh, know. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, doing that piece in this new version of my work where I took all the art I like doing and collaged it together, that was like a flag in the ground of like, this is what I want to do. This yeah. is me. And it was under your name, so... Yeah, yeah and under my there. real name, yep. not, you know, my secret alter ego. <laughs> and um, th- that led to a lot of phone calls. And That's awesome. After that, it was like, uh, do you want to come to Berlin and paint? Do you want to come to Mexico and paint? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And that led me to this, you know, seven-year stretch of this body work I've been doing now. Yeah. And, um, you know, all those ups and downs and weird turns in my career led to me doing what I'm doing now and the work wouldn't look the way it is without all of that going through those horrible, struggles. Weird yeah, shit. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel like at any point your ambition gets in the way of your happiness? Like we're working so much? No, or, man. No? no, because I'm happy and relaxed when I'm like on top of things and getting stuff done. Yeah. So I can't like just go on vacation if everything's undone. Right. So I get like a lot of happiness from completing projects and painting and being creative. Yeah. You know, so you know, my hard work ethic helps my happiness. And yeah. funny thing about, um, you know, my art as a force in my life is that a lot of my girlfriends in the past have hated my art because it's a strange force. It's like mm. my art is what gives me my self-esteem. Yeah. It gives me my sense of who I am. It gives me my work ethic. Mm. And sometimes the people in your life, they want to be the ones that give you that mm-hmm. but I'm very lucky because I find this power and strength and well, that's peace like a, from yeah. my own art well and you shouldn't yeah. be waiting for someone else to fill you up so it's like it's nice if you're it's getting full from all that and then you can go and yeah, so, be better in a relationship and all those other things yeah. I agree man yeah. and I'm very lucky to get so much from my, my art man. Yeah. I'm very lucky for that it's crazy yeah. and, and also just the impact it has on people like well, I'm sure while you're painting it and then when it's finished just seeing how the community reacts and you know, it's it's a. I'm not always there amazing. for that part. Yeah. So sometimes I am. Sometimes yeah. um, I'll see firsthand how it affects people. Um, but a lot of the time, I find out about the impact the art has when a city tries to remove my mural, mm-hmm. and everyone goes up in arms. Oh, that's amazing. And that's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Or I'll get a letter or emails from a kid who. Um, you know, was asked in school to do an art project on their favorite artist. Yeah, that's incredible. And they did like five paintings that are like, you know, an homage to me. And that, that's yeah. the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, that, but, that'll um, get you. Yeah. You're not always there for that part. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of it is making your work, throwing it out into the world, and then walking away. You know, so I don't always see that. Um, I only have time for a few more questions. Uh, what do you want to do that you haven't done yet? Well, 
Um, a parade balloon. Right. <laughs> really? Like Macy's? But I always wanted to do an illegal parade balloon. Like, <laughs> make a parade balloon and, like, fake the passes and get it into the fucking Macy's parade illegally. You know, you're putting you know? this out, like, a little too much. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, guys. <laughs> yeah. Podcast listeners, just but keep I always it to thought that would be the best to, like, yeah. If you walk up with Gorilla a giant parade balloon, they're yeah. going to be like, oh, yeah, obviously he's meant to be here, you know? Yeah. He's coming in on, you know, 82nd Street instead yeah. of at the top, but it's fine, yeah. That, that's a dream. <laughs> um, but what I'm working on next is a lot of public sculpture. So, you know, I do a lot of public murals, but um, doing outdoor public sculptures next. Mm-hmm. And that'll kind of combine my toy world with my painting world. And yeah. Public art. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That'd be cool to see. Yeah. Um, who makes you jealous? <laughs> oh man, my big brother. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah that's man. cool. Um, you know, uh, a lot of my role models have been family members. You know, um, and my my big brother is one of my biggest role models, and he he actually he runs a gallery for Red Bull in Detroit, and um, curates young artists from Detroit to do all this great stuff. And he's one of those guys that, like, you know, when I was really young, he was a rude boy, ragamuffin creating all kinds of trouble, always getting arrested, and came into his own later in life. Yeah. So he had a rougher life than I did, but was like the strongest guy I knew, the funniest guy I knew, the best graffiti artist, the best painter. Yeah. Um, and now is a mentor to artists in a way that like I would love to be more of. You know? Yeah. Have you, have you guys ever collaborated? Like recently? Um, yes. We did a mural together at the Modern Art Museum in Aalborg, Denmark. And it was the length of a football field. Holy shit. And it was a mural of all the things we loved as kids that we still love as grown-ups that still inspire our art. So it was paintings of everything from um, uh, Gundam to Silver Surfer mm-hmm. to Adam West Batman. That is all collaged together. That's and he's amazing. very abstract. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do all the grayscale stuff. You do yeah. all the color. Yeah. It's great. Um, uh, do you have a nemesis? <laughs> yeah, me. Oh, yeah? yeah? I'm like a secret lazy person, man. Really? Yeah, that thing about, like, you are your own worst enemy is so real. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you get past that? I don't know, man. I, I, I uh, screw myself over with self-imposed deadlines. You know, I'll, I'll set up like a, a big exhibition for myself and be mm-hmm. like, oh, I have to do it. Now I have to do it. Um, but that is a big challenge, you know. As I'm getting older, I'm 41 now. So now everything starts to hurt and ache a little bit. Yeah. You know? Especially on a, on a crane for five days. Well, when painting we're painting along, the yeah. big murals, you have yeah. a, a harness on and a lifeline, and you're painting for 12 hours, 15 days in a row, and it's far from blue-collar work, but it hurts, man. Yeah. It hurts. Um, so now I'm, like, having to, like, beat myself beat the lazy part of myself in so many new ways where it's yeah. like, it's like now I've got to exercise mm-hmm. and do this and that. So I'm having to like work a lot harder to be uh, as prolific and hardworking as I like to be. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's like I'm a procrastinator and it's like, yeah, you have to trick yourself into yeah, doing stuff. Um, do you have any regrets? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Not really, man. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the mistakes I've made, I made pretty publicly, you know? Like, mm-hmm. everything I tried in my art career, I, I did very visibly and big in public. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't have much shame to begin with. Why start now? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, what, what is success to you? Uh, it's your personal definition of it, you know? I think that that changes for people. As you get to know yourself better, your definition of success changes with it, mm-hmm. you know? So for me, being successful now is having uh, control over the content of the art I'm making without anyone dictating that. Yeah. And being able to make a living doing that, yeah. that's enough for me, you know? Yeah, that's nice. Um, and I don't always have that, you know? You have to take some projects here and there where I'm like, all right, what do you want? Let's go. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, I'm able to drive that, that train. Yeah. yeah, and being in control of that. Yeah. That's that's a, it's, it's hard to get to a point to have that freedom or feel comfortable enough to say this is what I need. Well, what people don't realize is that no one's going to call you up and say, hey, do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. You have to do what you want as an example and show the world. And they'll say, oh, we want that. Yeah. But they don't know they want that until you do that. Yeah. So, you know, you have to kind of like invent your own universe and invite people into it. You know, that's the only way they're going to want you for your unique vision of your, your art. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, and finally, how are you feeling right now? Great. Yeah? A little tired, man. Yeah, I you've been getting the water. Yeah, it was, it's right there. <laughs> it's right there. You're just going to run off this stage and go out there. But. All right, cool. See you. All right. <laughs> well, Tristan, thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you so it. much. Yeah, great it's been to great. see you again, man. Yeah, this is great. Cool. Thank you, guys. Tristan, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciated the conversation, uh, and we'll, we'll do our best to help you get an illegal balloon in the uh, the Macy's parade. Glad nobody nobody knows about it now, so definitely not going to point back to you. Um, if you enjoyed this episode and enjoyed Overshare, which if you're still listening, I'm assuming you did, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review us. That's the way other people can discover us. Also, a huge thanks to uh, the team at Second Child in New York City. Uh, for hosting us this season, uh, to our audio engineer and editor, Jesse Peterson, to Moira Spahich, our producer, Eugene Ong and Gabby D'Amato for the Overshare branding. And Eugene made all those collages. You can find on our Instagram and Twitter at Overshare Talks. Our theme song is Let It Grow by Caleb Grow. Now, if you are an incredible creative or you're someone who hires incredible creatives, please join us at workingnotworking.com. We would love to have you. Uh, companies like Apple, Google, Facebook, Airbnb, Droga5, White & Kennedy use Working Not Working to staff their freelance and full-time roles, uh, and we would love to have you be a part of the community as well. And that's it. That's it for this episode. We will be back next week. Uh, just a reminder, don't touch your face. Don't touch your face. And also take a minute right now to reach out to someone, a fellow creative or someone you know who's working from home, and just check in on them. Uh, we're all going to get through this. We just got to weather the storm. So so stay positive. You know, Keep being kind to one another, and uh, we'll definitely get through this. So I will see you next time.